Hello, and welcome into the LSU baseball season finale episode of the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU pod. Thank you for joining me. In this episode, I will be giving you my take on the LSU season. What were the highs and the lows? I will go over position grades, coaching grades, and what does the roster look like moving forward. And finally, I will discuss a couple of changes I would like to see moving forward in the Coach Jay Johnson era. So thank you for tuning in. If you're listening in on audio for the first time, the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU pod is available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other major audio platforms. If you're viewing this on the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU pod YouTube channel, please make sure to subscribe to the channel, hit the like button, comment, and hit that notifications bell as well. On Twitter, please follow me. The account is at 60FT6INLSUPod. Make sure to follow, set your notifications, and interact with me on Twitter as well. So thank you to everyone for the likes, the retweets, the comments, and supports throughout the season. From when I first started this podcast and YouTube channel till now, it is very much and it is very greatly appreciated. So real quick, one thing I do want to mention, if you're here looking for me to break down this recruiting class and give you the scouting report on a JUCO kid from Iowa or some outfielder that's 17 years old from California, this is not the place. I will not be doing that. One, because I don't have the time. And two, because it doesn't matter to me until those kids get on campus and they get through the fall. So I'm sorry to disappoint any of y'all, but uh, I'm just not that guy. But I hope you stick around for the rest of the pod. A lot of good things I have in store for y'all. So I'm a big agenda, big list person. So in this episode, I will briefly go over the season, kind of a 3,000 foot view for all my corporate people out there. And then I'm going to get into a couple things I would like to see happen around the program. Next, I will cover the season highs and lows, some final team statistics, and then I will wrap up the pod with position grades, coaching grades, and a brief rundown of the roster and potential moves uh, for the fall and for next season. So I'm going to kind of stay out of the weeds on that last topic as well. So thank you for joining me, and let's get into it right away. Overall for the season, LSU finished 40-22. and 22. They were 17-13 and 13 in SEC conference play, and they went 1-2 and two in the SEC tournament. So coming into the season... I'm not sure if anybody knew what to expect. Everybody was excited about Cruz, Morgan, Doty, the addition of Barry. But besides that, I think if you asked LSU fans and some of the pundits around town, it was probably a coin toss. How would the pitching shake out with no true Friday night ace? What would the pin look like? And you thought you knew with Fontenot or Vittmeyer from a a pitching perspective down in the pin, but they were also talking about using Fontenot as a starter. And it was definitely a bit of a roller coaster this year. And... Hats off to this team and to this staff for battling through a bunch of adversity, making a lot of changes midseason and on the fly. And while all teams deal with injuries, for this LSU team, it just seemed to come at the wrong time of the season on the backside of it. And it happened to the wrong people, really, some of your key contributors. But all in all, if you take a step back and look at what this team had in terms of talent, where their deficiencies and weaknesses existed, and you really look at how strong the SEC was, especially now heading into Super Regionals, as they are taking place right now as I'm recording this pod, and who else you had to face, you can't be proud. You can't help but be proud of this group of guys, impressed by the coaching staff, and you only wish as fans we would have gotten one more chance to see those guys in a weekend series with the Super Regional at Alec Box Stadium. So to get this podcast started off, I'm going to give this season as a whole for the LSU baseball team a grade of a B plus, And for most, most of the reasons that I mentioned above. And for me, 
The only reason it was not an A was just the lack of a super regional. When a super regional was in your grasp after um, having a chance to uh, finish Southern Miss and even the ability to host a regional at Alec Box Stadium at the end of the year and be a top 16 team, all you needed to do was probably win a couple more SEC games and you just let that slip out of your hands right there at the end of the year. Also, as a first-year coach in the SEC and a first-year staff for Coach Jay Johnson and the guys, you know, they dealt with um, a lack of time to recruit and get the pieces in place to fit some of the holes on this roster. I thought the season was a success, and no one at that facility will tell you that. But as fans, I think you have to be pleased with the staff, uh, their ability to actually coach and manage games in the SECs and make adjustments on the fly, and you have to be excited about the program moving forward. And I'm going to say it right here. I'll put it out there. I throw my hat in the ring. I think Jay Johnson wins a national championship within the next three years at LSU. And I can see him winning multiple ones at LSU as well. I believe he's the youngest coach in the SEC West right now. And I think he's just getting started in terms of shaping this roster, recruiting to this roster, and rebuilding the monster that is the LSU baseball program. So next, let me talk about a couple things I would like to see changed or addressed moving forward. And I really only have two at this point. I don't have a litany, just a huge list of things. Just two really things off the top of my head. First is schedule. I think they have to do a better job of scheduling out-of-conference opponents moving forward. And I know their, their hands were tied this year with them coming in during the summer and that schedule was already made. I think this has been lacking for several years under Coach Maneri. And it lacked um, during some of my time at LSU under Coach Burtman. But also the baseball landscape was very different back then. I think Coach Jay Johnson needs to take more of a Will Wade and the basketball team approach in the non-conference. And I think, you know, if, if you're honest, I think the fans and the players, for that matter, would love to see tougher teams come into LSU or LSU travel to those teams in the non-conference setting before SEC play starts. I understand that the midweek will always be what it has been. And when you play the likes of ULL, Tulane, Southeastern, Nichols, Louisiana Tech, all these teams are very good. And look, all these, the majority of these teams battle for a regional spot year after year. So I think that that's not, nothing's going to change with regards to that moving forward. And then you have the advent of the pre-conference tournaments that you see with regards to the, Shrin- the Shriners Classic in Houston, which LSU has participated in. You also know that they're going to participate in the Round Rock Classic this year in Austin. And I think they're going to continue to do that. Coach Maneri started that trend, and it's, uh, I think Coach Johnson seems to be committed to that moving forward. But my issue really centers around series such as the Southern Townsend, Townsend series this year, the Bethune-Cookman weekend series. I just think you just can't play those teams moving forward. And I just don't think the fans are going to show up to watch those teams play either. You know, it doesn't really improve your baseball team besides letting some young guys get some action before, you know, those guys are basically not going to play the rest of the year. Um, and those series are typically non-competitive. With all the good teams in college baseball right now, LSU should be able to go out and schedule some very good mid-major teams and then one big name or one big Power 5 conference um, one series moving forward. And even if, even if it's a home-and-home, home, I think that would be great. Look, go out and schedule a VCU or a Coastal Carolina or a Grand Canyon or Central Michigan, teams that cause problems in the regionals that are mid-majors, and then do like a big home-and-home home series with a uh, – East Carolina or NC State or UNC or Miami or Florida State or Louisville or UConn or Michigan. Bring some of those teams from up north down here and uh, schedule those guys for a pre-conference series at Notre Dame. Somebody at Texas State who's close. 
And I think that would be phenomenal for the fans and for LSU and to really get you ready for the rigors of SEC play. And I think a home-and-home. I've always wanted to see LSU schedule like a home-and-home with Florida or Miami. I think that would be phenomenal. And that's one change I would like to see moving forward. The next change I would like to see moving forward is I think the the atmosphere at Alec Box Stadium has got to change. And I do not have all the answers to this. I just know something's got to be done. You know, um, I definitely think it's gone downhill over the past couple years. And I realize this is uh, kind of internet fodder, right? A lot of message boards and a lot of discussion has gone on with this over the past couple of years. But I was there in person a couple times this year. And to me, it just felt dead and very lackluster. And these were during SEC series. And maybe part of that was the opponent that they were playing or the fact that all these games are now on TV, SEC Network or ESPN+. Plus. But it was just blah when I was out there. And I know people complained about the length of the games and the way Jay Johnson managed the game, specifically the pitching staff. But there still have to be ways to make the fan experience and the the experience at the box more enjoyable and um, more interesting. I I would wish, I think, they need to make all the chairs um, chair back. you got to get rid of the bleachers all the way down the lines. I think that's ridiculous for LSU to still have bleachers out there. Um, I think there needs to be a big improvement in the outfield sections. I don't know what that is with the limited space they have, but the outfield is just kind of very 1990s. Um, and if there was to be a way to extend the suites on one side or both sides, all the way down the first and third base lines, or pick one, but they got to offer more suites. Look, they're going to sell out. People are going to buy them. There's going to be no doubt about that. But when you look at some of the other fields around, I think LSU's uh, starting to fall behind. And just take a look at the SEC West. You have A&M in the Supers, Auburn in the Super Regionals, Arkansas, Ole Miss all in the Super Regionals, and Mississippi State's the defending national champion. So it's a total arms and facilities race out there. And I think LSU, in terms of the player amenities, the locker room, the separate section they have for the pro guys, their meeting rooms, um, the weight room now is on site. They have indoor hitting cages and bullpens. I think all those are top-notch. But when you look at the, the stadium, it feels kind of generic and cookie-cutter to me. I think the pavilions and then the, the room they have underneath the stadium with all the memorabilia and the history is awesome. But you kind of look at some of the things, uh, the new dude at Mississippi State, that outfield is unbelievable with those suites or those like mini apartments out there. Ole Miss is getting ready to break ground on some new outfield stuff. Tennessee is going to revamp their ballpark since they think they're good now. And Arkansas. Look, Arkansas is an unbelievable atmosphere. That place is rocking every weekend. They have suites everywhere. LSU doesn't really have room to do the berm, but I think there's got to be something done from a facility side of things just to, just to bring the box back to what it was. Because to me, it's just, um, I don't think it's nearly as intimidating as it used to be. That's just my opinion. So, moving on. Season highs and season lows. Just one of each. I'm not going to digest the whole the whole schedule here. Season high. So to me, it has to be the season-ending sweep at Vanderbilt. The way they played the entire series in all three phases of the game, pitching, defense, and hitting, the way the pitchers in the bullpen stepped up, the way the hitters hit throughout the lineup, the way they absolutely mashed Vanderbilt pitching, and when you needed it the most, coming off the Ole Miss sweep at home to me, that was the high of the of the season for me. You can look back and say maybe taking two out of three at Florida, the sweep at Mississippi State, but we know they weren't very good this year. But when you kind of look through the conference play, it's got to be the season sweep at Vanderbilt for me. And it was just a great road series victory. 
of a perennial national power. When you went on there and you left, no doubt that you took all three from those guys. That was just massive, and it was really good to see. I was very impressed by the team that weekend. Now on the flip side, a season low for me. It has to be the series that preceded the season high, (laughs) which would be the Ole Miss weekend. I was there for um, one of those games, and I realized that you didn't have Jacob Berry in that season, excuse me, in that series, so that was a big downer. And it was a weird situation with the rain suspended game on Friday and that game getting continued on Saturday morning. But to me, LSU looked non-competitive, disinterested during that series, and I know they wanted to be out there, but man, they didn't pull up, put up a whole heck of a fight. And it almost like that, that series triggered Ole Miss to where they are now because that kind of got those guys rolling when a lot of questions were being asked about Coach Bianco's job heading into that LSU series. And heading into that series at Alec Box, I mean, LSU was 7-2 and two to start the second half of the SEC, and they were rolling. They dropped one game to Alabama and one game to Georgia. And then all of a sudden, you get swept at home, and you're looking at 7-5, and five and you go on the road to Vanderbilt, and a lot of things were a question right there. So um, I think if they win one or two games against Ole Miss, probably one, they may solidify their spot as a regional host site. You could say they probably needed the game against Kentucky in the SEC tournament. That's near, near, neither here nor there, but uh, to me, the Ole Miss sweep at home was definitely the season low. Okay, guys, moving on. Some season statistics here. Just, just a, a brief summary of some things that I found interesting, and I got a, a couple of gold-plated money stats for y'all at the end. So, LSU finished the year with a team batting average of 289, 120 doubles, 114 home runs, and they only had 22 stolen bases on the year. Jacob Berry led the team with a 370 average. Cruz led five guys with double-digit home runs as he led the team with 22 dingers, 22 Cruz missiles for that young man this year. He also had Joe Bear with 18 bombs. Barry and Doty each had 15, and then McManus had 10. Pearson was very close to getting double digits as a freshman as he had eight home runs on the year. Cruz led the team in RBIs as it wasn't even close. He had 72 ribbies on the year. He also led the team with 42 walks and 56 strikeouts. LSU finished the year with three guys hitting over 300. Those guys would be Barry, Cruz, and Morgan coming in at 324. Pearson and Doty finished very close to that 300 mark as Pearson came in at 299 and Doty at 298. On the pitching side, LSU held the opposing teams to a 240 batting average against, so very impressive, and they finished the year with a 4.32 team ERA. They also finished the year as a pitching staff with less hits than innings pitched, always an important factor, and also a 3-to-1 strikeout-to-walk ratio as a team. So a massive job by the bullpen in this category as they had to carry the majority of the load this year for the pitching staff. Gervais led, led the team with six saves. Hilliard led the team with innings pitched. He had 77 on the year. And you had Cooper leading the team in appearances with 30, and Razelman and Gervais were right behind Cooper with 29 apiece. A quick blip. The team finished the year with a fielding percentage of 962. They had 82 errors on the year. 18 were committed by Thompson and 14 by Doty. So that's not good when your middle infield has 32 errors on the year, but everybody knows that. All right, gold-plated money stats. Really quick, I found this very interesting. Got three of them for you. LSU was 29-1 when leading after seven innings this year and 31-1 when leading after eight. Very impressive. Says a great deal about the back end of that bullpen. 
The longest win streak of the year was six. I was surprised by that. I thought they probably put together at least an eight or nine win, nine game winning streak. But um, maybe speaks to some of the up and down inconsistencies in the beginning of the year before they kind of really found their footing and found some roles in the pitching staff. And then the longest a starting pitcher lasted this year was seven innings. Once again, a little interesting. Money and Hilliard both did that, but um, you know nobody went more than seven innings. Not even seven and a third. So interesting there. That's it for your gold plated money stats. That's all the stats I'm going to give you. So we're not going to load down the series finale pod with some stats here. All right, let's get into some position grades. Starting pitching, I'm going to give those guys a C. Coming into the season, I think this was the area of biggest concern for most fans, probably the coaching staff and most of the uh, pundits out there. And as the season progressed, it stayed that way. LSU was never able to develop a true number two starter until the end of the year, until the emergence of Ty Floyd. And you never got a good, consistent performance out of a number three starter. And that was basically just a de facto bullpen game. We saw Dutton start that um, the majority of the year in the SEC games, but you know his, his outings varied from anywhere from four innings to one pitch. So just never consistency in that game three role. Blake Money was not the same after the hand injury. And you had to rely on two freshmen to piece together that game three, which is good for them because they got experience, but probably not the ideal coaching, I mean, the ideal situation for the coaching staff. And thank goodness for the emergence of Mikhail Hilliard. He was a complete rock star this year, in my opinion, for this team. And once he got put into that role, at first it was a game two role, then it became, you know, the ace, the game one role. Um, just a, he did great. And what a great way for that young man to end his career. And to me, he's just a true representation of what you want an LSU baseball player to be. You know, toughness, determination. You know, he had a rough year last year with the passing of his dad. And just, um, I hope that man does good things in his life because he seems like a great young man and just a, a great kid. So, starting pitching a C. The bullpen, I give those guys an A. You know, people thought that's maybe the strength of the pitching staff coming into this year, but I don't think anybody foresaw the bullpen being this strong throughout the year, and nobody had any idea of the huge amount of innings that these guys would have to carry throughout the season. You know, without these guys, I think LSU's season is uh, kind of probably a complete mess. And I know they faltered a little bit down the stretch, but to me that was just a... um, a combination of wear and tear, and they just got tired, and just a huge log of innings that they had to uh, carry this year. And you could just see they just didn't have their best stuff. And it wasn't just one guy. If it was just one guy, i kind of write that off. But you saw like three or four guys were just really struggling the last two weeks, just trying to get outs out there. To me, the emergence of Razelman and Gervais, in particular with Vitmeyer down the stretch, um, having some of the best outings of his career was huge. I thought you saw Cooper turn things around, and also Hasty. You know, earlier in the year, I thought Cooper, he looked bad. I didn't know if he was going to be able to survive in the SEC after having a good year at Arizona, and Hasty was absolutely nowhere to be found. So with those two guys, you saw in the middle of the year, they kind of came into their own and offered some stability uh, from the left-handed side of the mound for LSU, and they were enormous. Um, I'm also excited about Grant Taylor and his progressions. He didn't throw as much down the stretch, but I think what you saw from him, I mean, he's got great stuff. He's a mid-90s fastball with a very good curveball, you know, physically well-built kid. He doesn't look like a freshman, and uh, I'm excited for his development his future in the LSU program as well. Infield, I give those guys a B-. Now, just hold on. So the, for these position player grades, 
as a group, I'm looking at hitting across the position group, also looking at defense, and then the role that the group played as well. So infield, B-. minus. So when you look at Barry, Thompson, Doty, and Morgan from a hitting perspective, those guys are definitely an A, an A+. But, you know, they all put up amazing numbers, and as a collective, they were the backbone of this lineup. But defensively, we all know that that group had their issues, except for Morgan. You know, he was great yet again this year. I think he's a true anomaly when it comes to modern-day first baseman. As LSU fans, I think we really need to appreciate this guy. His ability, um, his glove work over there at first, and really his athleticism and his work around the bag is um, something to be truly appreciated. And once again, he was um, all-SEC defensive team this year at first base. But we know the struggles they had at third and then in the middle infield with Thompson and Doty on the defensive side. And to me, it's an area that needs vast improvement. And there's no other way to put it. I mean, they were basically, I didn't look at the numbers, but they were probably a bottom 20% defensive team in the country this year. And that's just not going to cut it in the SEC. So infielders with a B minus. Outfielders, I give those guys an A. To me, it's the strongest position group on the team when you look at hitting with those guys. You had Cruz, Dugas, I throw Joe Bear in that group, what they bring to the table, and then you look at the emergence of the two true freshmen in Stevenson, especially Pearson. Those guys are just, they're studs. And those guys are going to make a mark at LSU in their career. Defensively, I also think they're the strongest in the group, except for Joe Bear. You know, he's the one that really didn't fit in that outfield group, but he had to play it at times. And depending on if Dugas comes back, and the addition maybe of a um, transfer portal guy or, or a freshman that steps up, a big-time freshman recruit, this could be one of the best outfields in the country, in my opinion, moving forward next year. When you look at Cruz in center and Pearson in right and whoever you have in left, Stevenson can run, Dugas can hit, and then whoever, whoever you have to back those guys up, I mean, that outfield is going to be locked down next year and, move, and for the foreseeable future as well. Outfield, A. Wrapping this up with the position groups, I give the catchers a C. So obviously the injury to Malazzo was a killer from a defensive perspective. And I think the fan base, if you ask them, they may be split. You know, would you trade the offense of McManus for the hitting of Malazzo? And some guy, some people would say yes. And especially at the end of the year with some of the miscues defensively, you know, that kind of came back to haunt you. And it always seemed like um, you had some issues at the end of the games in crunch time. But then, you know, you would have a DH question on your hand. If you had Malazzo, what are you going to do with McManus and potentially Joe Bear? I think Travinsky shined offensively for a couple of weekends, and you didn't really see him after that because McManus got going. And McManus had some really big moments for this team this year with some really big hits, and obviously he had some power. But he seemed, towards the end of the year, you know, um, SEC tournament super, I mean, SEC tournament in the regional time, he was either really hot or really cold. And, uh, but then the defense, once again, was another story. The ability to block balls or even receive balls at times on a consistent basis was a problem. And as I mentioned, it came at inopportune times and and really seemed to rear its ugly head when LSU could least afford it. So to me, you look at the injury of Malazzo, but the unexpected uptick in offense from McManus and Travinsky and uh, some of the defensive issues, though, to me, so it was middle of the road. So I'm going to give the catchers a C. So just to recap, starting pitchers a C, bullpen an A. Infield a B minus, outfield an A, and catchers a C. Let me know if you disagree with me. Twitter, YouTube, hit me up. We can have those discussions. Okay, moving right along here. Coaching grades. So for Jay Johnson, I, I go head coach slash hitting coach. 
Because while I do have a hitting coach on staff, I think it's mainly Jay Johnson's philosophy and the plan he puts in place with those guys and their approach. I'm going to give Jay Johnson a B plus. Everybody knew he was a good coach coming in. And I think some people didn't know what to think of the hire. But when you look at the success he had at Arizona and in such a short time at that program, and then throughout the year as he watched him manage this team and the ability for them to fight and persevere all year, the grit and determination that they had. And if you had a chance to listen to him in some snippets on Twitter or wherever you may have caught this, when he did some interviews and some conversations with him, um, I was very impressed by the things that he said. And I even talked to some of the people that were close to the program that know him or had the ability to talk to him on a week-in, week-out basis. To me, he's definitely the right guy for the job. You know, he may, be go, he may go about it in a different way, but with him, it's baseball every day, all day, baseball all the time. And I think the most important thing is he understands the history of this program. He, mentioned Coach, he mentions Coach Bertman and Coach Maneri a lot in his interviews or his press conferences. I think he truly gets the expectations of the fan base and the ex-players. Um, and I think he wants to exceed more than anything there is. He wants to win national championships and multiple national championships here at LSU. I don't know him personally, but I would love to talk baseball with this guy. And I think the SEC... They really need to be worried about Daddy being back as the bully on the block moving forward. And make no mistake about it, this is absolutely the toughest conference in America and absolutely the toughest conference, excuse me, the toughest division with the SEC West in this country. I don't care about the ACC. They're having a good year this year. I don't care about the Big 12. They're getting ready to be a joke. Look at A&M, Auburn, Ole Miss, and Arkansas. All in Super Regionals. Mississippi State, defending national champion. You got Tennessee. Can't stand those guys. Those guys are in Super Regionals on the East. Florida. They hosted a regional in the East. Georgia seems to be coming back. And Vanderbilt's going to be there. No other conference can put up what the SEC has in terms of depth and the ability to win national championships and the commitment to facilities, recruiting, potential NIL deals. And when you add Texas and Oklahoma, I believe in the next two to three years, forget about it. This thing is going to be an absolute meat grinder. So what he did with this team after the first half of the SEC play and to get them on the cusp of a top 16 seed and a regional host, he dealt with all these injuries and a lack of starting pitching. I thought it was a great coaching job. And to me, the only thing that kept him from an A was a super regional spot. Or a regional host spot. So big things are coming for this LSU baseball program. And the fans should be pumped up about the future. So to me, Jay Johnson, you get a a B plus, brother. A couple of changes I would like to see um, with regards to maybe, I'm sure he's already thought about this stuff. But I think he's got to be more aggressive on the bases. I think that comes down to the makeup of the lineup. And I know he has mentioned that on several occasions. I think he wants to get more athletic in the offseason. But uh, they were really a station-to-station team this year and had to rely on the home run, and I think it hurt at times. They just need to have the ability to do more, such as steal, hit and run, bump for base hits, or sack when they need to. And I think you saw more of that at the end of the year. But that just puts so much pressure on other teams defensively, and I think that's the way he wants to play. I I just think he was a little handcuffed by what he had this year. Also, I don't know how much you can do about this. This may get back to recruiting, but it seems like our team is a little small physically now I know they hit 114 home runs and that's great and I know they lift obviously but it just seemed like they're a little smaller when it comes to the weight side of things and then um there's not as big so I think when you look at teams like Arkansas or Tennessee 
uh, maybe even like a Notre Dame. They just seem to be, those teams seem to be bigger, bigger physically than LSU. And maybe that's the way Paul Maneri recruited or what he looked for in guys. Um, you know, he liked to say he liked to recruit a bunch of shortstops out there, and that may have something to do with it. But it just seems like we need more 6'2", 6'3", guys that weigh 205, 210, 215. And maybe some of those enhancements from some of those other programs like Tennessee or chemical or pharmaceutical enhancements, I don't know. But we just seem to be very small physically from a position player point of view. All right, Jason Kelly, the pitching coach. I'm going to give him a grade of B+. And I'm going to admit, I didn't know much about him or his background coming into this year. But all in all, I think he did a good job with what he had to work with. I think he did a good job of really developing Ty Floyd and finding roles for those guys in the bullpen after about a third of the season. And you saw those guys really thrive in their assignments. I thought he did a great job of inserting Hilliard into the starting, um, starting pitching role. And we all know what McHale did and what he was able to accomplish once he got comfortable in the game two and eventually game one starting position roles. But there are definitely some things that I think you have to wonder about or question with, with regards to pitch development and certain pitchers. But on the flip side, I have to realize that he had limited time to put his staff together and he had to adjust on the fly this year with some guys that just didn't perform up to expectations or they weren't performing as well as they did in the beginning of the year. And um, he just kind of had to make chicken salad out of whatever he had. you know. And uh, I think you're going to see and I doubt that he has to rely on the bullpen that much moving forward in his tenure at LSU. I just think that was probably a decision. I can see him in a coach's meeting say, look, it is what it is, and if we got to throw the bullpen 60% during the weekend, that's what we got to do to get some Ws. Some of the changes I would like to see Jason Kelly implement, I think the pitchers, they have to have a secondary pitch for a strike. You really saw that with Razelman and Gervais really had a lack of a secondary pitch. I mean, even Ben Joyce at Tennessee who throws 100 miles an hour has a slider for a strike. There's no reason that you should be a pitcher at a top 20 program such as LSU and have no secondary pitch for a strike. You can't come in here and expect to be successful just throwing fastballs. I don't care if you're on the corners or not. You're going to get hit. The other thing, too, to build upon that, I think the LSU pitchers really need to be able to throw fastballs to both sides of the plate, specifically in to righties and to lefties. And that drove me absolutely nuts this year, especially if you watch this pod or listen to it. I harped on that a lot. But the lack of ability to bust right-handed hitters and left-handed hitters in, I just think it was a serious miss. Now, I don't know if, if it's a pitching system thing, if that's a uh, Jason Kelly pitching philosophy to where they stay up w- away or it's just a lack of confidence in him calling fastballs in, or it's a lack, or he knows those guys on the mound can't execute that, or more often than not, they're going to hit that guy. So he'd rather not take that chance and just stay away. But in the future, you absolutely must, they have to be able to throw fastballs in. It's a huge weapon, especially with the velocity these guys are bringing nowadays and the type of recruits he's going to get in here. Just think about the times you saw LSU's hitters get busted in by opposing teams. It makes those guys very uncomfortable. They don't see it a lot. It's tough to hit. And you don't have to go in the hole at bat. You just have to have the ability to show in. And I know they work on it. So I think it just uh, comes down to probably a lack of faith in the execution for those pitchers and the ability to execute that pitch on a consistent basis. But if hitters have the ability from opposing teams to just eliminate one side of the plate, one, they get comfortable, and two, their approach is super simplified. So they go up there knowing everything's going to be middle away, and they can really dig in and get comfortable in the box. 
So to me, I'd love to see that change happen. Okay, let's start to wrap up here with the roster. So where do they go now? and What does the future hold? So for me, these are all assumptions or guesses on my part, unless something has already been posted on Twitter or the internet with regards to leaving the program or a transfer portal. And I'm sure everybody right now probably knows a lot of that stuff. And look, these guys are going to know exactly where they stand after exit meetings with Coach Johnson, Coach Kelly, and the rest of the coaching staff. So they're going to know moving forward in the summer what they have to work on, what they need to get better at, and where, is their, where do they stand in this program um, heading into the fall. Once again, I'm going to do it by position groups. And pitchers, I did it a little bit differently. Right-handed pitchers. So for every position group, I'm going to have who's coming back, who you're losing, who has a decision to make, and in my opinion, what they need. Right-handed pitchers. Coming back, you got Floyd, Money, Dutton, Taylor, Collins, Helmers, Edwards, Fowler, Lansville, and Bullman were both freshmen, the last two. You're losing Fontenot, Hilliard, and Vitmeyer. A decision, I think, has to be made by Razelman and Gervais. I assume both those guys are going to get drafted. Depending on the money and the slot value and their personal situation, I think those guys are going to have a um, decision to make. So in my opinion, I think they're going to need to get seven guys into this staff from a right-handed pitching perspective because I don't know if some of those names that are coming back will stay with the program. And I think you got to get two to three starters, whether those guys are transfer portal guys or you get some top-end freshmen to come in and, and develop into a starter. I think you're going to have to get SEC caliber established starters two to three in for the fall on the right-handed pitching side of things. I apologize if I'm missing out on some of these guys' ages when I look at the roster if I have a bad take on this, so apologies ahead of time. Left-handed pitchers, coming back, you have Cooper and Javen Coleman, who's coming back off an injury, and that was a huge miss this year as well. I think you're losing Schaefer, and a decision, I think Hasty's going to get drafted. Look, he's a low 90s guy with a good breaking ball. He's a typical pro, pro ball reliever or a lefty specialist. Um, and I think he's going to get drafted and have a decision to make. I'm sure it'll probably be after round 10 or so if I had to guess, but I think he has the stuff to be successful in pro ball. And to me, in my opinion, you need two more left-handed pitchers from somewhere. Um, you get Coleman back, but I don't know his timeline on his rehab, but you're going to have to find, um, and for some reason, Hasty leaves. All you have is Cooper on the back end of that bullpen, so you're going to need two more lefties somewhere. Outfield. Coming back, you got Cruz, Pearson, Stevenson, and Joe Bear. I put him in that list. You lost Geo to the transfer portal already. Decision. Bianco and Dugas have, I think they still have eligibility left. And what the hell happened to Brody Drost? I thought he played well as a freshman last year under Maneri in limited time. But this year, man, you had to put a wanted poster up for that guy. I don't know what happened to him, if it was an injury, a coaching decision, or what. But I don't know where he went. So in my opinion, in the outfield, it seems pretty settled with Cruz, Pearson, Stevenson, and if you got Dugar or Bianco back, those guys are loaded, and Joe Bear. So I think if you just need one veteran to come in and provide backup, or you have a veteran and a freshman that's ready to step up and provide backup in case somebody gets hurt, but to me, that position is loaded, and it has the potential to be one of the best in the country, I think, and uh, I just think you're looking for some, for some depth right there and to build some depth in that position group. Catchers, Malazzo is going to be back. I think Travinsky is going to be back. And then they had a freshman, Blake Priester, who did not play this year um, by my accounts. And you're losing McManus. 
So I think you got a pretty good one too with Malazzo and Travinsky. I think you need one to two guys for development and depth. And I heard they have some good catching recruits. Maybe you look to go out and get a JUCO guy if you lose a guy or two to the draft or some like you hit the transfer portal again like you found McManus, a senior guy. But I think they need definitely one, maybe two catchers for some depth. And then finally, the infielders. This is the area that's probably most concerning to fans and, and I'm sure the coaching staff as well. So coming back, you have Thompson, Morgan, Cranford, Luke Leto, who was a freshman infielder who hit some this year, and then Connor Simon out of St. Paul's in Covington. He was hurt, so he didn't play at all this year. You lost Brennan Holt from Parkview. He entered a transfer portal, portal excuse me, and already went to Oklahoma State. Um, and then you lose Dodie and Barry. So decisions. Beloso, is he going to come back? Is Merrifield going to come back? And then I don't know about Will Safford from U-High as well. What do you need? To me, this group uh, has the biggest needs and biggest makeover and needs the most help. Besides the possibility of high school recruits, I think you need one to two proven big-time college players um, that have been there, done that. You need one to two proven SEC caliber middle infielders, in my opinion, to come in and compete and to look to, uh, look to them for immediate playing time and possibly starting. I have no clue where Thompson's going to play next year. I'm not sure it's, if it's going to be shortstop. But um, if you're bringing in some transfer portal guys, they're going to compete with him for the shortstop job. Take a, take a look at the guy from Missouri, Josh Day. I saw him play live. I thought he was phenomenal. Very athletic, sure-handed, hitting the top of the order, had some pop. I mean, I think if a guy such as that, that fits that profile, that hits the transfer portal, I immediately go after that guy 100%. You let the chips fall where they may in the fall. So if you can get a guy such as that and another guy that could potentially play third, then I think you're in business and this team is going to be nasty next year. All right, guys. So that's going to do it for the LSU baseball season wrap-up episode of the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU pod. Please make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel, like, and comment on this video. Make sure to check out the podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other major audio platforms. And be sure to follow and interact with me on Twitter. The account is at 60FT6INLSUPOD. Once again, I cannot thank everybody enough for the views, the comments, the interactions, um, the invitation to do interviews, and the support throughout the year. It's been an absolute blast doing this podcast throughout the season. I want to give a quick shout out to the following people for the help, the ideas, the promotion, the interaction, the support, and this is in no particular order. Matt Moscona, Matthew Musso, Hunt Palmer, Jordy Collada, Blake Rafino at AYS, Zach and Reagan Lee at Tigers Av Pod in the Twitter account. Alex Day, a huge LSU fan in Austin. He's also on the Weekend Rotation podcast mic'd up for the putting out the great content and we know we never interacted <laughs> and a couple of my guys on twitter who i dm'd with a lot and text messaged with a lot steven miller he is at dsports24 on twitter and also my boy skip couture he is at adam underscore blake 1986 and listen there are tons more out there who supported and interacted with me as well i'm going to tag you in the post but look stay tuned for more content and episodes from me I got a couple ideas I'm kicking around, so I want to try to stay relevant in this summer and top of mind with you guys, but um, I just appreciate everything, so thanks once again, guys, but until then, y'all stay safe, and I will see y'all next time on the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU pod.